Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics and preaching could be tied up together. My name is the Reverend Chris Upton. I'm a Baptist minister. I preached for 23 years from one pulpit in Haworth in West Yorkshire, but now I work as the national lead to the Waterways Chaplaincy, and I'm also the church funding officer for Christians Against Poverty, and I'm speaking from their offices today. Each week I'm joined by a different guest, and today I'm very pleased to introduce David, Reverend David Hardman, a British Methodist minister ordained in 1994. He served churches and circuits in the city centre and suburbs and inner city Manchester and London. He's also worked for Christian Aid and for this, for JPIT. Justice and peace have been at the heart of David's ministry, and he is now the Methodist liaison officer in and for Jerusalem. And we'll find out a bit more about that work, I am sure. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, in the bio, you put uh, peace and justice have been at the heart of your ministry. Tell us a bit more about that and, and where preaching comes in for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose when I've reflected on my on my call to discipleship and my call to ministry, it's always been uh, at the heart that that sense of a calling to 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 live for and speak for justice and peace. And I, I you know, I remember as a teenager, I, I would be on a Saturday, I'd be on a, a a CND march or a peace march in Manchester, and then on a Sunday, I'd be in church. and And God called me through both of those things uh, in into ministry, and and so. Um, you know that's that's been very much what uh, what my calling has been uh, about, and I and I you know I really feel that as preachers, um, you know that we we need to help ourselves in our preparation, but also then uh, assist our congregations to theologically make sense of the world around them. Um, you know, and that that means making sense of the big issues that are going on. That means making sense of what. Uh, what our politicians are standing for, what they're saying, through the eyes of Jesus, through the uh, the love of God, and uh, you know, and sometimes that will mean that that means we we stand up against what they're saying, or it means that we you know we encourage others to think carefully as well. So I al I always believe that you know from the pulpit we should be helping people to to theologically reflect on the realities of life, and that means politics as much as um, you know uh, anything else. Thank you for that. I'm sat here in the in the Christians Against Poverty office. We believe that tackling poverty is not just a part of the gospel, but is the gospel. Would you say the same for peace and justice? Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, sort of poverty can be at the heart of that as well. Um, you know, sort of um, and because I, well, you know, I think that justice what I what I see as justice is, um, you know, this this is about the the opportunity for everybody to have life in its fullness uh, and not to suffer from oppression, not to suffer from poverty. Um, and so uh, and I, you know, I, I keep I always come back to, you know, Jesus at the start of his ministry quoted Isaiah uh, and said, you know, release for the captives freedom for the oppressed the spirit of the lord is upon me and and if it was upon jesus to do that then as 
as Jesus' disciples, as those who follow in the footsteps, then that's part, that is what we're called to do as well. And and so, yeah, you know, uh, I think, I mean, the world is crying out for uh, just peace. Um, and and I and I, you know, we took, we put justice and peace together, don't we? We talk, we very often talk about justice and peace. And I am a really firm believer, and I think certainly, you know, obviously my current role uh, in Jerusalem, although I'm obviously I am not there at the moment due to the the conflict, I, I've come home. But you know, uh, people are calling for a ceasefire, and mm. uh, you know, of course, we we need that because of the horrific numbers of people uh, that are being killed. Um, mm. But actually, what we need is justice, because uh, if we don't have justice, then we will we will see this cycle of violence just continue. And so, mm. you know, if there is a just solution to the problem in Israel and Palestine that takes into account the human rights uh, of all people, then actually we've got a chance to build peace. So, you know, I really do believe in justice as a foundation for peace. Mm. Um, and, and I, you know... I, peace itself is a wonderful, you know, I mean, the, the vision of peace is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But unless we have true justice, that that is the foundation that under underlies it, then mm. lasting peace will, will, will just be that sort of pipe dream. I've got that little soundbite in my head as, along the lines of peace without justice uh, or justice without peace is oppression and peace without justice is is clinical rather than loving or, or warm and uh, yeah. i need to go back and anyway we'll, we'll, we'll dig into this more yeah. um jay every week gives me some headlines just to remind ourselves of what's going on in our wide world so i'm going to bring some of those uh, although sadly most of them are pretty bad news at the moment and then we'll dig into our lectionary texts for the season so some more headlines. Another storm, Storm Kieran, is due to hit on Wednesday with risk of further flooding and disruption. Just over a week ago since the last storm of Babette. And a quick sideline here, my, my work as the waterways chaplain, I'm suddenly seeing the, the waterways storm force waters on our canals and rivers causing huge troubles to the 30,000 boat dwellers in our country. Uh, and I'd never considered that a storm was more than just a bit inconvenient, but no, proper storms really hurt. The, concept, uh, the conflict in Israel-Gaza continues, still causing enormous numbers of death and destruction and bringing in other countries around the world. 100,000 people attended the protest in London on Saturday against Israel's violence and against our government's response and probably for many other reasons as well. Protests may have been held in your towns. A mass shooting in Maine in the US, 18 people killed. A train crash in India in the Andhra Pradesh state. The Russia-Ukraine war still going on. Russia's parliament recently backing the withdrawal of Moscow's ratification of a global ban on all nuclear uh, warhead testing. Light relief, uh, the Rugby World Cup final, won by South Africa with a great game, but still some underlying issues going on there. And Wales have introduced a ban on several single-use plastic products. Coming up this week is All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, All Souls' Day, and it is also the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians on the 6th of November.
plenty of more food for thought. But our lectionary texts won't wait. We've got four from the Revised Common Lectionary that we might be thinking about. Joshua 3, 7 to 17, the people of Israel cross over the Jordan into the promised land. Psalm 107, a song of praise to the Lord who strengthens the weak. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 13, Paul encouraging the young church to live lives worthy of God. And from Matthew 23, some wisdom teaching culminating in humble yourselves. David, as you would be preparing for preaching on Sunday, where would you go with these texts? What jumps out at you? Um, I, I think the, the Joshua text jumps out at me because you can't ignore it this week. Mm. Um, and, uh, so we have, we have the text, um, of Joshua, uh, leading, leading the people into the promised land. And, and, you know, we can't look at the news anymore and, and not sort of, uh, begin to think about this and I, and I think it, it it poses so many questions um and I think sort of uh raises issues that perhaps we haven't necessarily thought about before I think that this whole narrative of um of you know the 40 years in the wilderness um you know and of course uh, this last Sunday we had the death of Moses and then the 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 entry into into this this promised land um and and we know it as a biblical narrative and 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 you know we know the story and we perhaps just leave it at that but i think through the eyes of what we're seeing in israel and gaza now we we recognize that actually there's there's some there's trouble behind this you know if you read this passage um you know uh so we're told that um you know, God without fail will drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the you know all those people that are there already. And so, we've got this. We've got this great idea that there is this promised land that that they've been through the wilderness years, and there here is a place that they can they can be that God has given them. But then we we actually recognise that there are people there before, and there are people that will be driven out. There will be conflict and and drive them out. And of course, we can't help but to begin to look at what we what we're seeing here because uh, in Israel and Palestine now because this is about this is about the return of Israel to this land uh, 75 years ago um, but yet there being a race of people already there and them losing some of their land and then of course we've seen you know um, 56 years ago sort of the occupation of the land that was given to the Palestinians by by Israel and we've got the whole what what does it mean to be promised land what does it mean for those people that are there already god created human beings who are living there and you know today we see um you know we see the death and the destruction that is being caused because of this argument over land and nationhood and 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 self determination um and all those things so you know I think we have to wrestle with this text and, um, and re perhaps wrestle with what is promised land. So uh, a follow-up question for me. I don't know if you would have preached last week on the death of Moses. And to be honest, I'm not sure what is coming next week. Uh, um, how much history 
would you expect your congregants to sort of know in terms of Israel-Palestine and the carving up of the map after uh, the First World War, after the Second World War, or Six-Day War? How much of that would you expect? How much would you think is necessary to understand this dilemma? That's a really, really interesting question, Chris. Um, and, I, and one of the things I, I found is that I, I found people, um, because of this current conflict, asking those questions. Because, yeah. you know, I think, you know, there's a generation, I mean, a generation of us who have grown up with conflict in the Middle East. We have grown up mm -hmm. with, um, you know, knowing that Israel, Palestine, that there is conflict between the two. And and I think sometimes for, for people, they've looked at the news and gone, oh, yeah, it's it's gone off again in, in the Middle East. And, you know, this is just a recurring thing. And, and I've mm -hmm. known people this time, I think, partly because of the scale of um, what happened. The horrendous Hamas attack on October the 7th uh, was an unprecedented uh, sort of uh, attack. Um, and then the response by Israel, I think people are starting to begin to think about it. But it's one of those things that when you delve into it, you can just... I, I was asked recently to do to do a blog, and, and I did a blog, um, and they said, oh, that's great, but could you do a brief history of of the conflict and and i and i kind of went well i can't really? it's hard to do a brief history and i i tried to do headlines um you know and and tried to and and actually it's very difficult and i and i would i would say that you know we can't tell what a congregation knows and we can't tell what they you know where they are in terms of knowing the history but i think it's quite important to um you know to to try and do some of that and pick out what what is important you know i mean um, people have said to me, "Why aren't why aren't Gazans leaving Gaza?" Well, one, they they can't, but you know, um, to get out is you know is impossible at the moment. Or or but secondly, there is something because many of those families in Gaza are families of people who were driven from their homes in 1948. You know mm -hmm. what they call what Palestinians call the Nakba, the the catastrophe, and in fact, Palestinians don't talk about it in the past tense they talk about it as ongoing and for 75 years it's been ongoing but you've got families there who were driven out of their homes and so to be driven out of gaza even if egypt opened up the rafa crossing and they could get out many feel that they would be never going back to this what they you know they see as their land as palestine so you know i think there's some important interpretations of of um of history that perhaps need to be shared um but it i'm sorry i haven't got an easy answer i'd love to be able to say go to this website and there is a a preacher's guide but but it you know if preachers know their congregations maybe they they've got a sense um you know and maybe maybe it's you know maybe we need to offer some resources when we're preaching on difficult project um difficult subjects like this maybe we need to say here's a good place i found this you know you could go here or you know you know um maybe have some printed out at the back of church or something i don't know just to for those people that want to to have a bit more and, and to look into it mm. i was in northern ireland over the summer and we were in Derry and on a guided tour and and then we moved to uh bush mills and small town and suddenly the history of William of Orange and the marches was being flown on every lamppost and the story was being told 
and again, I thought, I know absolutely nothing. I've just imbibed the IRA are hotheads and we're right and they're wrong. And there's something within me that wants to say, is that our basic narrative that Israel is right and Palestine is wrong? Because we've read these texts throughout the years and unflinchingly said, the Lord will drive out all these because that's what the Bible says. Am I by myself yeah. in this, David, or you're nodding a bit? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's so difficult, isn't it? The narratives that we just pick up and, and mm. I think the Bible's part of it. And I think, um, you know, what we hear and how we hear it is part of it as well. And, you know, I mean, there are there are some commentators who argue that the book of Joshua is, you know, is actually a later, um, it's written later uh, and is nationalist propaganda, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, and people argue because uh, apparently archaeologists say that Jericho at this time wasn't inhabited. So therefore, you know, how could Joshua? Mm -hmm. have... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, and I'm I'm not a big enough scholar to to know and, and to, to argue on either side of that. But I do think that this idea that when I saw, you know, that word propaganda, I, you know, I, I've when I listen to, to the news today, you know, last week, you know, Biden, the the, the president of uh, the United States of America, questioned the figures that were coming out of Gaza because the Ministry of Health that provide the figures is is run by Hamas. And mm -hmm. so he, he cast doubt on, you know, we're, we're you know, it's eight over 8000 as we're speaking today. Um, and and I, you know, I just felt, you know, everyone else, you know, the World Health Authority says, no, we've never had any problem with these figures. They've always proved to be OK. You know, mm -hmm. um, the uh, um, Human Rights Watch, they said, actually, we trust these figures. We always have. We've got proof they've always been okay before. And you realize the power of propaganda. And I, and I also, you know, I reflect when I was younger, the very mention of PLO, you know, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, <laughs> you know, um, I, I just connected that with terrorism because at the time there were the hijacks, you know, you, if you remember further enough back there, you know, yet, you know, that organization has tried to, um, you know, in, in recently to to actually be able to to promote the the cause of Palestinians, and I and I think this leads us onto a really interesting um, issue, and that is that we've seen the rise of anti-Semitic attacks, we've seen the rise of uh, Islamophobic attacks in this country, and mm -hmm. and when you start judging people, you know, by uh, by judging everybody, if you judge everybody. Um, every Palestinian by the actions of Hamas or Islamic Jihad, then, you know, you are, you are judging them against a standard that, you know, is not fair because, you know, many people will tell you many, many people who have lived and visited Palestinians that they are one of the most hospitable and generous, uh, you know, race of people that there is, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's the same with antisemitism, isn't it? You know, we, we cannot, we cannot judge, the Jewish race or the Israelis by, you know, those those traditional Jewish tropes that there are, and that and those things are both wrong. So we need to get beyond this. Um, and I think, you know, for those of us who maybe have read these passages and have been brought up on this narrative that, you know, uh, Palestinian 
uh, you know, equals terrorist. Actually, we need to get behind both those things and we need to look at what God wants us to look at. And God wants, you know, we are called, you know, last week's uh, gospel, you know, to, lo to love God and to love our neighbor, you know, mm -hmm. and, and actually that neighbor is not defined as somebody who is the same as us. It's not defined as somebody who is close to us. It is defined as, you know, human beings made in God's image. And so, you know, I think we need to recognize that, you know, I have a difficulty with this passage, not because I don't believe Israel should have a land, not because I don't, you know, I believe that Israelis should have a place that they can call their own. But what I have a problem with is that how do you deal with people that are there already? And if it, if we believe that it's God's will that they're driven out, mm. then that to me, I can't, you know, I always go back to the Old Testament and I read it through the eyes of Jesus, you know, and, and if I can't, if I can't marry the two together, then actually, you know, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I can't have any truck with this Old Testament passage. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the God that's revealed in Jesus is, is not a God that, you know, drives people out. It's a God who wants us to live in love and peace uh, and, you know, and justice with one another. So, you know, I do think we need to wrestle with this. Um, and I think we need to get behind the propaganda, whether it's, whether this passage is propaganda, and I'm not an, enough of an Old Testament scholar to tell you whether it is or it isn't, but also to get behind the propaganda that okay. we, that we are seeing today as well. And I think that's a key thing for us as preachers, you know, to, to make, to do that work and, and to help others to, to you know either who've been thinking it or who haven't thought about it just begin to think about it david thank you uh, if we can then maybe we need to look at the gospel uh, <laughs> yeah. and and matthew 23 and as we do i think i want to hold in mind that if if when we're thinking about judges i'm uh, sorry Jud joshua and we're thinking of people groups i wonder if we think in the new testament I'm often just thinking of an isolationist, me and my God, rather than the corporate nature of the oikos or the nation or whatever it is, and how we balance both the individual pietistic me and my God going to heaven when I die, as opposed to transforming the social order of the world. And I just want, I guess, to balance those two and how you do that when you're preaching. I mean, I I think, yeah, um, I think people would probably say if, you know, if former congregations that I concentrate more on the transformational, um, you know, transforming the world than than particularly on the individual. But I, 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 I kind of, you know, for me, there's very much this sense in which, um, you know, we are we are called and yes, we our relationship with God is transformed through that calling. And we, we, you know, are, you know, we can and rightly should talk about the fact that we come before God as forgiven people because of God's mercy and grace towards us. And that we can, you know, we can come before God, our sins can be forgiven. We can know that, you know, as a good Methodist, we can know that our sins are forgiven. Um, but I think, you know, I can't leave it there. I can't, you know, that I just cannot see that that is anything in the teaching of Jesus that leaves it there. Yes, it's a thing to be celebrated. And thank God that, you know, God calls us and we have that opportunity to know that supreme love and that offers us, uh, you know, that that wonderful gift and vision of life after death. But 
actually we you know that there, there has to be a responsibility and and you know i think when we're looking at this uh, matthew passage you know uh, the the message and i think i'd like to say we need to be careful any of these passages where jesus has a go at uh, at you know jewish religious leaders because we what we need to recognize this is not a, having a go at judaism this is not having a go at jews or israel you know but and we need to be careful because sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap and, and to become anti-Semitic in, in what we say. But for me, you know, the, the fact is that what Jesus is trying to sort of say here and grapple with is that actually if we if we are going to take on the message of God's love, then we need to live it. And and it's not just good enough to tell other people to do it. We need to do it ourselves. And, and so, you know, I, I think sort of for us as Christians, you know, we can celebrate the fact that we we are forgiven and we have this personal relationship with God, but that has to then be seen in the fact. And I and I think you know in the Thessalonians passage, you know Paul's trying to say that in 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 the you know look look how we were, this is how we behaved, um, you know. And I think I think that's exactly sort of what Jesus is saying is actually your behaviour then, knowing this love of God, is that you you do getting back to last week, love God with all your heart but you also love your neighbor with yourself. So it, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be that lead on that, that, you know, he, he adds in what's the greatest commandment. Well, this one's this, you know, yeah. Loving God. But then there's also this one, which is just like it. He says, it's just like it, <laughs> you know, it's actually, and I'm going to put them together. And that's, you know, you love God because of the forgiveness and the, and the, you know, mercy that you've experienced and you love God with all your heart, but actually part of that is you're loving your neighbor as well. So it's got to lead to something. And, and, you know, yeah, we can't all, you know, you know, we can't change the world in the sense that we can't end the conflict uh, between Israel and, and Gaza, but actually we can live in a way that brings peace to our relationships with Muslims, with Jews, with people of no faiths. We can, we can live in a way that demands justice uh, in those situations. And I, and I see that I don't, you know, that's part of our forgiven life. We live with God is, is to, to try and promote that across, um, you know, across the places we live and, and, and across uh, the, the globe. David, I've just written down, and I'm not quite paraphrasing. Well, I'm paraphrasing you, not quoting. Uh, we have to demand justice. And you've just nodded. And I'm looking at the last verse of Matthew about humble yourselves. Is it possible to humbly demand justice? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um so I, I looked, you know, I look at these words, you know, the greatest among you will be your servant. And I asked the question, who do we serve? Now, obviously, we serve God. I mean, you know, that's that's obvious. We are Christians. We serve God. But but, you know, we are asked to serve others as well. You know, that's the, the whole suffering servant, the whole Jesus kneeling at the feet of his friends and washing the feet is an example of God in human form serving in a very tactile way. And so my question is, you know, who who do we serve and it goes on to say all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. To me, this is a call to actually serve not the powerful, but to serve the oppressed. Those, those who have, and, and that's the real, to serve someone who's powerful, I don't think is humbling ourselves. You know, you, 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 you're kind of putting yourself, yes, you are mm -hmm. serving you, but actually you're serving in the powerful realm. Actually, 
you know, Jesus knelt at the feet of his disciples. These were just a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of, you know, <laughs> you know, nobodies who who Jesus called to to share with him and he served them. And so, you know, for me, this is about very much sort of saying um, we we amplify the voices. You know, we we talk, you know, with your hat on as Christians Against Poverty, you talk about lived experience, amplifying that voice of lived experience. We don't we don't shout it out and say how wonderful we are because we're we're speaking up for those who live in poverty. We actually say, you know, let's mm-hmm. hear that voice. Let's let's hear that. And you know, I was I you mentioned in the intro about marches um, uh, across the country on on the weekend and i and i i was on the march in manchester where i where i'm currently living um and and i it was you know i went because you know i wanted to stand alongside uh palestinians and i wanted to call on our government to to actually uh call for a ceasefire rather than supporting what what's going on but i actually stood behind uh a small group of jewish people mm-hmm. And they had a banner, and the banner simply said, always with the oppressed, never with the oppressor. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really powerful example of this. The greatest among you will be a servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Because they were standing there and saying, I do not stand with my government, my Israeli government, mm-hmm. but I stand mm-hmm. with those that are oppressed. And and so for me, in answer to your question, yes, we can be humble in calling for justice, um, especially if we amplify the voice of those who are impressed, uh, uh, those who are oppressed, rather than, uh, you know, claiming the stage and saying how good are we because we're we're calling on behalf of the Palestinians for justice, or we're calling on behalf of those who live in poverty for justice. Uh, David, I, I'm really warming to this I, I i did preach last sunday i'm not actually preaching this coming sunday and i kind of wish i was now um but there, there's two things i guess and we do need to bring our conversation to a close as we were talking about joshua i was actually almost thinking about the book of job and the foolishness of even talking and the sitting in silence and weeping which doesn't get you far as a preacher but maybe more sort of eloquent than uh, most of what I say. And and that highlighting the chaos and the confusion. But then I absolutely loved your your call to us to remember who, who are the poor that we might serve or, or who might we stand alongside rather than where is the power, go to the powerful, all of that sort of thing. And it struck me, I wonder if that's our call for this week, where we highlight what we know is confusing and impossible. We leave that with God in prayer and we reflect on our congregations, our community and say, we are not ignoring over the seas, but what is going on right here for us now? I guess I would say that as a Baptist with our localism really at the forefront of the mind. But again, you're nodding, which is kind of nice for me. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think, you, you know, f- for me, having to leave um, the region, having to leave uh, people I know, you know, I, I've been working with people who have family in Gaza. I've been, you know, been working with, um, you know, uh, Israelis who are scared because of what's happened and, and are frightened and, 
you know, I, I, obviously for me, there's this this real sense of, um, you know, I'm I'm not actually preaching on on Sunday because obviously I've come back to the country I and I haven't got a lot of preaching appointments yet. But you know, I think I would I would immediately just go and try and tackle some of these passages the way that I've been talking about because you know that is it is so. I'm emotionally invested in this as well. This is a, you know, um, something that I, you know, I've stood for justice and peace all my life, but, you know, I've, I've stood for things that I've, I, I've only read about, or I've listened to people or, you know, and, and I've made a, a cerebral decision that this is wrong, but this is, you know, there's something about the heart for me here because I, I know that these people, um, but, I, but I do, I do think that, you know, we also do need to reflect, like you were saying, about what's happening for us. And uh, you know, when when we and when we see the news and when we hear this, whether it's whether it's Israel Gaza, whether it's you know the 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 storms that are battering the country, whether it's all these other things, what you know, and 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 to to reflect on, you know, what God is saying to us is you know that's, that's always really important. And sometimes it is easier just to, you know, to to shout loudly about the injustices in the world but but actually we you know i think there's one there's for activists and you know i would count myself as an activist but there there is you know this thing about burning out mm-hmm. and and sometimes those of us that have this this nature that is you know you know i i don't spend time with myself on saturday morning i go to a rally because that's that's you know <laughs> but actually there is a sense in which we need that inner strength to continue to to not only humble ourselves, but to to be able to through that humbling call out for for justice across the world. So I think there is a need, uh, and there's a need within in us as a church to to do that that personal reflection. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm just turning to the psalm. We we are going to have to wind it up. <laughs> Hundred and seven one. I'll give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, the north and the south. Uh, Yeah, we turn to God who satisfies. We know that we get into stormy waters when we push it too far because so many people aren't satisfied and aren't having their thirst quenched at the moment. But coming back to God somehow with all of this, I guess, is a good thing. David, thank you so much um, for coming and sharing your wisdom and your reflections and your lived experience today. Uh, A question I tend to ask all all my guests is, is the the pulpit a place for answers or a place for questions? I I, I think... I think, if not, this is not sitting on the fence, I don't think, but if I want to say both... Because I, I think I think in the preparation for preaching, those of us that are preachers actually need to ask ourselves questions, and I think we need to share the answers as we have found them so far. Um, but but on the other hand, I don't think we should expect those people listening to our sermons just to take those answers that we have, you know. And and I think, you know, I think it's 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 something that we as preachers need to to recognize but also as congregations that you know i stand before god and you know actually if you looked at some of my old sermons i would want to apologize to the congregations that heard them <laughs> but but that's where i was at the time and mm. but i hope that people who listen 
recognize that however passionate I might get or however passionate a preacher might get, however certain, how many, how many times we, we shake our fist or, you know, actually just recognize that there is something that goes on between ourselves with the help of God's spirit to hear what's said from the pulpit, but also for us to interpret that in our own lives and to, and to think through what that, what that means. So, yeah, it's a place for, for answers, but it's a place where people should question those answers as well. Thank you. Thanks. That's the, I'm not going to say it's the best answer. It's not that you're my favourite, David, but yeah, it's been a really, that's a really good, useful, full answer because it's a stupid binary question. Anyway, thanks very much for, for joining us today. And thanks to the rest of you that are listening or watching at home. Uh, I wish you well as you prepare for your sermons this week. And if you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts or online and share it with your friends. We have an online space for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, at politic, uh, pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. And we also have a Facebook group which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team, jpit.uk. So uh, God bless from me, God bless from David, and I'm going to leave us with a short blessing. Lord, in this season of change and uncertainty in your church and in the world, give us a vision for the future. Give us courage to embrace change to welcome new opportunities, to see new possibilities. Give us a hope for peace and justice in our time. Amen.